Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly biotechnology podcast that's not just about biotechnology. Providing information to help you change hearts and minds. Moving innovations through application with communication. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss contemporary issues in science and technology with a focus on biotechnology and new innovations that can help people and the planet. I'm Paul Vincelli sitting in for Dr. Kevin Folta. Hey, Kevin, thanks again for the opportunity here. And uh, today we're going to be talking about resistance genes to infectious diseases in plants and, and actually networks of resistance genes in plants. So this is a kind of a concept that I really wasn't aware of until I read the paper that we're going to focus on today, but um, we have with us today Chi Hong Wu and Lita Deriv Nina, both postdoctoral scientists in the laboratory of Dr. Sophian Kamun at the Sainsbury Laboratory in Norwich, United Kingdom. And so Chi Hong and Lita, welcome, and it's great to have you join us today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And so, you know, one of the things that's nice about um, doing talking biotech podcasts is, is I get to choose the topic, and so when I, re- I saw your paper, I said, "Oh yeah, this is something I want to learn more about." And so, you know, that's kind of a, the the reason that I <laughs> asked you guys is I thought what, what what a wonderful topic, and I sure would like to know more about it. So um, let's start by um, saying that plant diseases for those who are listeners who are not familiar with plant diseases. Constant, can cause losses of uh, commonly 10 to 15% across regions of the globe in total crop production. So these are really serious issues. And, and you all, I guess we can properly describe you as plant pathologists who study resistance genes. Is that, is that a fair you know, description? Are you, would you call yourselves plant pathologists? Yes, I would call myself a plant pathologist because I did a bachelor degree and master degree in plant pathologies uh, in plant pathology department. So I would consider myself as a plant pathologist. Absolutely good. Yeah. And Lita, what about you? When, when, or is that your sort of disciplinary home, or or is it just one of your disciplinary homes? 
So I actually did my undergraduate and PhD in plant pathology and plant breeding. So I would definitely consider myself a plant pathologist as well. Wonderful. Great. Yeah, I, I, uh, I must say that um, resistance genes and host parasite biochemical interactions are uh, really interesting topics, I think, to someone like me, an applied plant pathologist, and not easy to necessarily understand. So you, um, you both have an interest in a background in plant diseases. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your sort of history as a, you know, develop, as, a, as a scientist and as a plant pathologist. So I did my uh, bachelor degree in Taiwan in plant pathology and the microbiology department. And I started to get into uh, this plant disease and kind of intrigued by those particle calls we have in the university that the, the, the professor uh, showed us a lot of plant disease. And that we need to do those uh, microscope, looking at those microorganisms. And then uh, I decided to do a, a master in in plant pathology. Mm -hmm. So I stayed in the same department and did my master's degree studying uh, all my seed. And then I moved to another place called Academia Sinica, which is a research institute. Uh, not focusing, foc it focuses on plant uh, biology, but my topic is also about plant pathology. So I studied plant virus in, when I was in Academia Sinica. Plant viruses. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, plant viruses. And I came here to join Sophian's group to keep working on plant disease. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, I, I did want to comment on the Sophian lab uh, it, it, or, it, or the Kamun lab. It, it's um, a very well-known research laboratory, of course. And, um, and also, I looked at the website, and there's some wonderful pictures of you all enjoying very delicious-looking food. <laughs> so so you, you chose well. <laughs> yeah, so Chihang, you're, you're, you actually got in plant pathology because of a – a teacher that um, used plant pathology examples. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. And Lita, what about what about you? What how would you describe your history that leading up to becoming interested in this topic of host parasite interactions? So I, I did my undergraduate degree in uh, I have a bachelor of science in agriculture, and like every young person, I wanted to major in some sort of animal science, animal studies, because, you know, you kind of want to work with cute, <laughs> cute yeah. little animals. Um, but my plant teachers, uh, the professors that taught plant science were actually extremely engaging. And so um, I, d I discovered that I was actually far more interested in what was going on in those lectures than I was mm. in the animal lectures. Yeah. And so uh, in my honors year, in undergraduate, I did a project on rust resistance, rust resistant mm -hmm. genes. Uh, rust fungal, fun, fungi that cause rust diseases, yeah. That's right, in, in Bali, in the plant Bali. Bali. And um, that then took me on to, like I stayed on there and I did a PhD also working on rust resistance in Bali. Mm -hmm. and, and then I finished up there and decided that field work, because I had a, a plant pathology, plant breeding PhD, was quite uh, difficult. Mm. It was very hot in the yeah. Australian summer and doing crosses in the field was very difficult. So I wanted to do something different. And I uh, moved to the University of California, Davis in the USA to do a postdoc in comparative genomics. 
And, um, and then uh, after that, I, I really wanted to study more about host microbe interactions, and that's what brought me to Sophian's lab. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I, I remember, uh, so you were both were brought into the field of, of plant resistance genes through uh, teachers, actually. Um, yes, yeah. yeah. And, and it's interesting, the comment you made about the, the heat and working in applied systems. And I think uh, applied, uh, applied scientists certainly uh, appreciate and sometimes are awed by the work of, of um, the basic researchers who are our yeah. colleagues. And, uh, and likewise, I remember a student um, who was a brilliant researcher um, and he saw our square plots of fungicide spray in, in turf grass and you could see the effect right to the square edge of the plot. And he said, how did you confine the pesticide to the square? <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it has to do, of course, some, somewhat with analysis and so on. But mostly I said, well, we just come out here at 6, 630 in the morning and spray before the wind starts. <laughs> so something very simple like that, you know, was just mystifying to him. So, so it's, a, it's nice when applied scientists appreciate uh, basic scientists and vice versa. Yes, definitely. So, um, so let's, let's talk, let's provide our listeners with a little bit of scientific background on host plant resistance before we, we talk about the, the, the research itself that you guys summarized uh, in, a, in a very nice review paper. Why don't you give some background to people who know nothing necessarily about plant disease resistance? Yes, yeah, so I think most people know that animals have immune systems, but plant have immune system too. So I think one of the interesting uh, concepts we know now is that plants are under attack of many different pathogens at the same time, Mm -hmm. but they are resistant to most of these pathogens. Mm -hmm. So some of these pathogens can cause very severe disease and dramatically reduce the yield of crops. But that that are actually example of uh, uh, one out of many a microorganism that exists in the environment. And this is because plants have a very robust and very complex immune system. And this immune system is mediated by uh, immune receptors, or we call it as a resistant disease resistance genes. Okay, so these would be receptors being biochemical molecules that, that are involved in detecting the, the invading microorganism. Is that, is that correct? Uh, yes, exactly. So resistance involves the re- a receptor to trigger what in the plant? What happens? It would, uh, it would trigger a cell death response. So it would trigger some sort of uh, dying tissue. So the, the plant then restricts the growth of the pathogen. Okay, good. So it senses that, that, uh, that there's an invading parasite and the plant cell that is being invaded dies and, and that leads to restriction of the invading parasite. Is that, have I summarized it properly? Yes. What, what was the topic of your paper? And maybe, we, maybe we, with that background, we can talk about what you guys reported on and, and how it differs from, you know, the sort of the common understanding that we've had about plant resistance up till now. Yeah, so I think the classical view of the plant disease re- resistance uh, is what we call of gene for gene theory or gene for gene hypothesis. So it was discovered by a scientist called Flo. Um, he was uh, looking at the 
uh, resistance in Rust, uh, in Flex against Rust, and he realized that uh, Plan uh, have this specific uh, resistance gene, and then it provides resistance against certain pathogen that has a matching uh, appearance gene. Mm -hmm. So now, now then, uh, scientists discovered that this uh, disease resistant gene are the immune receptor. And this gene for gene hypothesis is very useful for disease resistance breeding. But what we found uh, recently, and also uh, the discovery by other group, is that the plant immune system uh, is very complex, and it's way more complex than gene-for-gene -gene interaction. You can kind of think of the plant immune system like an electrical circuit. It's very complex, and so it's it's not it's not simple. It's not a straightforward thing, and uh, there's a lot there's a lot that uh, we need to learn about it. Mm. Yeah, that was very clear in the paper, and I thought that was a very good point. So, so back to the gene for gene hypothesis, and and uh, and I really would like to stress for listeners the point that that you've both made, and that is the gene for gene hypothesis predicts. That um, that there will be a matching gene for a matching virulence gene, and therefore, if we have a susceptible plant, well, that hypothesis tells us we should be able to find a resistance gene out there that will match that uh, that invading parasite, and so it gives us hope for breeding. So it it actually has served, and it also does the flip that the, that is to say, if we have um, a resistance gene that we've put into our crop, well, we should expect that sooner or later a matching um, avirulence gene will occur in the in the parasite population, and and therefore we're going to lose the suscept the the resistance trait that we that we uh, that we we have. So um, first of all, is that have I said that accurately? I I think it's the opposite. Oh, okay. So um, if you have a resistant gene yeah. and a matching avirulence gene in the pathogen, oh. then you get resistance. Yes. So it would be the opposite. Um, of what I said. Yeah, it's the opposite of what you said. Sure, good. Well, that's why we have experts. I appreciate that. So, so but either, in any case, the, the, match, the matching um, corresponding uh, loss of an avirulence gene, right, is, is what's important. So in other words, we we can predict if we've got a resistant plant that we're sooner or later the pathogen will adapt, or if we have a susceptible plant, it gives us hope that we can go out and find a. Oh yes, exactly. So, uh, so the pathogen is actually evolving very fast. So, uh, for some of the 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 the, res the genes that we consider as a resistant gene, it might lose the resistance activity against certain pathogen because the pathogen evolve really fast, they may have chance uh, overcoming the, the resistance by losing the uh, matching gene. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So it, it's been in a way a useful uh, concept, the gene for gene hypothesis, but it's not actually reflective of what, what you all have reported. So what, what was new about the paper you guys reported in science? And by the way, the title of that is Receptor Networks Underpin Plant Immunity. And, and we will have a link to that at the website. But tell us, tell us about what's, wh why the gene for gene uh, model doesn't really fit what you actually observe in plants. 
Yeah, so the concept that we discuss in this paper is that the plain immune system is very complex. It is made out of uh, multiple layers. So you can think of like a, a rainbow cake. There are several different layers, and each layer is with different color. So rainbow in, cake? Yeah, like a cake that has different layers, and each layer is different color, which yeah. reflect that they have different function. Okay. So, so in terms of the immune system, uh, one of the layers is responsible for recognition. Okay. It can recognize the, the corresponding pathogen molecule. And then we have another layer, which is the receptor uh, network there. And in this layer, we have uh, the sensor receptor, uh, which is responsible for sensing pathogen and also the helper receptors, which are, uh, re- which are helping the sensor receptor for, for re- recognition pathogen. And then we have another layer, which is a signaling layer, which the signaling layer can also be very complex with different uh, component participating at different processes. Already, we're already into a level of complexity that wasn't reflected in the, in the gene-for-gene models. So we've got pathogen molecules as a sort of a one layer, maybe the icing on the cake, right? And, and, and if we yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much from the plant's point of view, but, but, uh, but uh, there's a visual way to understand it. And then we've got a layer that of, of host molecules that, that recognize the presence of these of the icing, the pathogen molecules, and then below the host receptors, and I'm just repeating what you you've got in your graphic, but in your paper, and so below the host receptor layer, um, you've got host co-receptors, and then below that we've got signaling, uh, biochemical signaling taking place. So we've got multiple layers here um, that all have serve a different function in in allowing the plant to defend itself biochemically. Correct. That's right. That's correct. And even even within the layers, there's a level of complexity because yeah. um, the 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 uh, receptor that senses the pathogen, so the sensors, they can work with um, a single helper. So the helper, I guess, could work with a single sensor, or it could work with multiple sensors. So yeah. even within the layers, you have multiple uh, levels of complexity. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's yes. It's a quite a complex. Reality is what you're, what you all describe. In the, in yeah. The yeah. And and so you know you've got these different layers and you've got arrows in your figure and and some people will certainly get the paper and look at it. Um, some of our listeners certainly will. Um, it, and you've got these different layers and then within the layers you've got different components that have arrows going to different other components in uh, other layers and so it's really quite a network of complexity is is what you described that's right yeah so what so why is this better for the plant i mean why would plants evolve oh and let me ask i I meant to ask this and i'm assuming this model that you're describing of plant receptor networks um is is valid not only for say a rabbitopsis which is the you know the basically the the equivalent of the uh, the fruit fly in, in terms of, of plant science. It's sort of a model system that, that allows us to do lots of research with, you know, with a common model system. But but I'm assuming this model of re- plant receptor networks applies to cultivated crops and other plants. Is that is that right? Uh, yes. So 
I think yeah, a lot of study were done in model system aerodopsis. Of course, but in our lab, we use uh, Nicosiana and tomato and potatoes our experimental system, and we observe this complex network in 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 tomato in in tobacco as well. Yeah, and then yes, of course, this also applied to many other different crops. Yeah, so it's really a. A big step forward, I, w- I would say, by the publication of this paper. Um, once again, the title is Receptor Networks Underplan- Underpin Plant Immunity. And um, I-, I am curious to know why plants do this. Uh, well, if you think about it, if you have a network, it really helps the plant maintain robustness of the immune system. So it, it's the immune system will be stronger, more stable. It will help um, the the plant uh, evade pathogen detection. And um, so, if you you can think about it in this way, uh, we also had a video that came out with the with yes. the perspective paper and uh, what you can think about is a plane so a plane has two engines and if one engine fails uh, possibly the pilot can still land the plane with one functional uh, with one functional engine component so that's what the immune network is like if one component fails then there's another component there to to help uh, keep the system working and also being a network it's just more adaptable you're really uh, separating uh, these different layers from each other, so that that enables um, uh, a much more efficient system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's there's um, redundancy, so that That's as you, yeah, as you say, one one engine fails in the plane, but often the pilot can land the airplane with the other engine still functioning. And also, I think your paper talks about efficiency. So uh, you you don't I forget exactly how you. Um, described it but um but uh you 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 can have a molecule that plays several functions very good well listen let's um let's take a short break and um when we're talking to Lita Derevnina and Chihang Wu from the laboratory of Sophie and Kamun in the Sainsbury laboratory in Norwich United Kingdom and we're talking about host plant resistance and the complexity that uh that the plant has evolved to defend itself against invading parasites. And uh, we'll, we'll continue that discussion when we come back. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. The goal of the Talking Biotech Podcast is to provide information about modern food and farming technologies with the hope of increasing their safe use in areas that help farmers, the environment, and the food insecure. It helps plug a gap that existed between scientists and the general public. And I've urged other people to participate in this discussion, but what's in it for you? Well, back in July, I attended the American Society of Plant Biology Conference in Montreal, and it was really great to meet so many people that really enjoy the podcast. And so to all of you students, postdocs, faculty, anybody else, here's an easy way to build your CV and develop your brand by simply participating in sharing the science. The Plant Cell is arguably the most prestigious plant science journal, but the papers are really dense and super important. We've begun an initiative called Plant Cell Extracts. Volunteer authors reinterpret the dense scientific reports in the form of short articles written for a lay audience, and we help edit. 
So think about writing for plant cell extracts. Read the articles at medium.com forward slash plant cell extracts and share them with people that would like to learn more about how to understand the nuts and bolts of modern plant science. New technologies that can benefit people and a planet. And we're back on the Talking Biotech podcast with Dr. Lita Derevnina and Dr. Chi Hong Wu from the laboratory of Sophia, Sofian Kamun in uh, Norwich, United Kingdom. And, and we're talking about plant disease resistance and the networks of molecules that plants have evolved in order to defend themselves against these very hungry parasites that abound in, in, in nature. So thanks again for joining us uh, today, you all. Thank you. Thank you. Yep, it's a pleasure. All right, so we we're, now we're coming to the t- part that always matters most to a, an applied plant pathologist, and that is how th- th- this, now this interest, material that you've presented in your paper is very interesting, and that alone uh, was the reason I, I read it. But, uh, but there's always this question, of course, in the back of my mind as an applied plant pathologist, how does that help us in terms of the management, which is ultimately where we all as plant pathologists uh, can um, justify the work that we do in one way or another. It ultimately is going to help us hopefully understand how to manage plant diseases better. So how, do the, how does this knowledge about receptor networks help help uh, with with management now and in, and in the future yeah so we talk about this idea uh like several of this idea in in the paper and then one of the very interesting one is that since now we know these sensor receptors signal through the sense set of helper receptors so by increasing the expression level of the helper receptor we could potentially intensify the immune response and since the network is complicated and it's, it, has saved, it can provide resistance against many different pathogens. So by increasing the, the helper receptors, the amount of helper receptor, we could potentially increase the resistance against many different pathogens at the same time. So we can think of these helper receptor, these receptors as a real state that we can yank up it and then improve the, the immune response output. Yeah, yeah. So, so we- so let me clarify for myself and the listeners. So there's the host receptors, the receptor molecules that 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 detect the presence of the parasite. But then a, a layer below that in the cake analogy that you described is the helper receptors. And by we wouldn't necessarily have to change the host receptor molecules, the layer above, but the layer of helper receptors. Maybe we could choose one or several uh, helper receptors to upregulate. Yes. And and because of these different arrows going to different um, signaling pathways, that by doing that you might increase the uh, resistance against several parasites and not just one parasite. Is is that is that right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, I read the paper, but I, I guess I didn't fully understand that aspect. So 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 right right there we've got a potential. Um, uh, opportunity. What, what, how would you you use biotechnology or or conventional breeding to do that? Which which would be the would either approach help us in increasing the activity of the helper receptors, or or is biotechnology a more likely 
candidate for that kind of outcome? I think we can use either technology because, um, I mean, all of these things, they're, they're tools for us, right? They're, they're different technologies that we can use. Um, there's the traditional breeding approaches, as you mentioned. Uh, there's the generation of transgenics. Uh, we can do genome editing. We can look through wild germplasm. We can uh, do mutagenesis. These are all tools and technologies that we have at our disposal. And uh, the best thing that we can do is try to use these uh, different tools uh, in ways that will help us develop crops that are more resistant. Ultimately, yep, yeah, indeed, that's, that's where we want to go. So, um, so okay, so one, one option is increasing the activity of co- receptors or helper receptors, um, knowing, knowing now that we do that they actually may contribute, each of them may contribute to defense pathways of different sores, not just one. Um, what, what other outcomes uh, are relevant to disease management now or in the future? So um, as you mentioned earlier, pathogens cause huge losses to, to crop production. And one of the things we do know is that pathogens, they're very fickle, uh, they're continuously changing, they're uh, very adaptive, and they can overcome these plant defenses. And one of the cool things about um, our knowledge of the network is that we know that uh, pathogens, based on our work, can target the network at these different levels. So if we can understand how these pathogens are, are targeting these different layers, uh, we can better understand what's occurring and um, work towards generating crops that are resistant based on our understanding of not only the pathogen, but also the host. So the, so the, the model gives us a framework for understanding how parasites may try to interfere, how, how parasites do interfere That's with, correct. with uh, the resistance network interactions that are taking place. And so, yeah, having that framework helps us then identify and perhaps pursue uh, novel solutions for disease resistance. That's correct. Yeah. Anything? I mean, those are those are very good points, and certainly enough to you know justify the value of the model to applied plant pathology. Well, the the other thing that um, we know is that sometimes when you move resistant genes from one species to another, whether they're closely related or distantly uh, related species, yeah. um, these genes don't function, and uh, often uh, you know it's puzzling, like why does this gene not function in, in this particular host? And one of the things that uh, is a possibility is that, that the helper protein is actually missing. It wasn't, uh, it's oh. not present in the, in the receiving host. Oh. So, so the receptors, that you've moved the receptor, but you haven't moved the, the other components. The co-receptor. The co-receptor that would be uh, necessary for, uh, uh, for functioning. That's correct. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. So potentially what you could do is you could, if you understand that there's a network, um, move the sensor and the helper protein, so the receptor, co-receptor, together as one unit um, into the new host plan. Yeah. Wow. That's really good. Boy, this is really good. Oh, and you mentioned, Lita, that there is a, a video for the general public on on the basics of this model and i've seen it it's very nice and we will link to that at the you know at the at the website for the talking about talking biotech podcast um so actually another question that occurs to me is um you know moving our genes or resistance genes or or 
what we're talking about today, moving those among species that may not normally hybridize, like taking a, a, a gene from corn, why not? And, and moving it into tomato, right? Which, which are never going to hybridize uh, on their own. Um, but, uh, but we can do that with biotechnological tools. Does, you know, on the one hand, that seems to open up all kinds of possibilities. If you can move resistance genes from, you know, the, all the plants in the world to a crop, you not at one time, of course, but but it creates these all these opportunities for engineering re, plant disease resistance. Maybe on the other hand, there's a downside. Is it even possible? Um, do you think? I mean, I may, maybe I'm asking you to speculate, but but um, does our knowledge of plant immunity networks open really many, many doors to genes, pools of genes for resistance that might not be available through conventional breeding? What do you think? Well, I think it does open some, some opportunities, but it really depends on when we compare two different plants, we are comparing the immune system and then what is missing in the other one. Mm-hmm. So I think for some of the example. Uh, we could use this concept to 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 like that we we have the helper we have the sensor receptor and the helper receptor we put them together potentially for some of the cases it 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 can work but it really depends on what are the components missing in in this in this context so for and if we know know more the more we know about the immune system the 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 chance of having successful transferring uh, resistance or immune network will be higher. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a really important point that you've added to the discussion um, that, that both of you have added. I, I, I want to credit you both that this idea that understanding the, the, the full network components that are necessary for a receptor molecule to work, that that's that those probably have to be in place if we're going to move gene or resistance genes from one plant species to another. So, Lita, what, would you say that most of the research that has led to this new understanding of, of networks of uh, interacting molecules for plant disease resistance, how, how recently has that literature emerged in the scientific um, journal? Uh, I think it's quite new. Um, the The original paper about uh, resistant gene networks was published last year. Oh. Uh, Hung was uh, the first the, the the first author on that paper. I think the concept itself is quite new. Yeah, but there are also a lot of uh, study working on a different set of immune system. So the one that we are uh, working on, like the, the immune receptor in the cytoplasm, but there are also immune receptor at the cell surface. And the the concept about the the immune network of this cell surface immune receptor was discovered several years ago. So uh, I think there are a lot of study about the immune network of the cell surface receptor, but in terms of the, the, the cytoplasmic immune receptor, it's oh. very new. Okay, okay. And I see your paper is uh, cited in, in your 2017 paper is cited here in the, in the current paper, and that, is, that was published in the Proceedings in the National Academy of Sciences. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. So this is really new stuff. To get a greater understanding, really read the perspective and watch the video 
And I think both of those will give people more understanding of what, what we're looking at right here. Yeah. So go to the website, folks, and if you want to know more. So, hey, listen, Lita and Chi Hung, thank you so much for joining us on the Talking Biotech podcast. It's uh, been a pleasure to uh, learn more about this topic. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, inviting us for doing this uh, podcast. It's very exciting for us. Definitely. Yeah, thanks. Actually, I love it too, so thanks. And thank you, listeners, for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Talking Biotech. Write a review on iTunes and tell a friend to listen as your support allows us to deliver more about exciting science to more people. I'm Paul Vincelli, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.